Good morning. Good morning. Um, several months ago, Clara asked me, she emailed me and asked me if I'd preach today. Sure, I'd love to. I said, um, public speaking, I really, I love to public speak. You know, I took a class in college just for fun on public speaking. Did y'all sign up for that one just for fun, just for an extra elective? Um, the problem with preaching, though, is you have to say something, I don't know, biblical and from God, so hopefully <laughs> um, that comes across this morning. Um, Mariana told me a month or two later that the topic would be the Lord's Prayer. And could I preach on and, let us not, and lead us not into temptation? Part A of one verse. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can come up with 45-minute sermon on part A of a verse. No problem, right? Um, so I was a little overwhelmed at first by the brevity of my assigned scripture. But um, over the last couple of months, um, I've spent time pondering and studying, trying to unpack this verse for myself and um, to share it with you this morning. But then I discovered that our pastors and our board were leaving for um, a planning retreat. You know, all those people who would keep me accountable to stick to my topic. And, um, and it also happens that today is Super Bowl Sunday. So I thought maybe God had something more pressing to say to y'all. Um, you know, here in San Antonio, we're languishing in this city with no pro football team to stand behind. Um, and this is really difficult. <laughs> it's a really difficult reality. And, you know, the options here in Texas, the Cowboys and the Texans, um, you know, okay, I see that during the regular season, but by the Super Bowl, I mean, it's, it's over for them. So, um, so you might be planning to watch the Super Bowl tonight with no idea of who to root for. And, uh, and now some of you know I grew up in Indianapolis. Steve and I both did. And, um, and so you might think I'm biased. But uh, what I'm about to present to you is out of 100% pure logic. Um, so here we go. Okay? My first question to you is, Who's going to bring more glory to New Orleans? All right. So Peyton Manning is a hometown New Orleans boy, raised in New Orleans, okay? His dad has lots to do with New Orleans football. The guy on the right-hand side grew up somewhere in Texas. So who's going to bring more glory to New Orleans today if they win? Okay. All right, this, that was an easy one. Let's move on. All right. Secondly, here's the Colts coach. Sorry that you can't see the top of the. Um, the Colts coach is only the fifth rookie coach to ever take his team to the Super Bowl. Come on. That's right. And if his team wins, he's only the third coach, rookie coach in history to lead his team all the way to the end. Now, who doesn't want to be part of history, right? Who doesn't want to see history be made tonight? <laughs> All right. Lastly, and this is a serious topic, obviously, from what we just discussed. 
Garçon, who is one of the Colts receivers, is from Haiti, right? See, he's got their flag on his head. See that? It's hard to see. Now, you guys know that Haiti was just struck with a huge earthquake. It was ravaged. Now, don't we want to see the Haitian people have hope tonight? (laughs) 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 To see their flag waved after the Colts win? So, So this is a clear... This is a clear, 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 um, it's, yeah, it's, so go big blue, right? All right. Okay, so with that said, you know, I'm kind of disappointed because that's all I came with and I was thinking I should do more and I thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to give him a break and then I walked in and there's a saint's cake on that front table. And, you know, Stu and I bring donuts every Sunday morning, and to think that there's a a saint's cake, it just makes me want to never buy donuts again. (laughs) And then, of course, if you want to be my friend this morning, you can just tear off that part of your, your name tag. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It'll all be cleared up for everybody tonight. Okay. All right, so going back to lead us not into temptation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right, so can anyone relate to the prayer, lead us not into temptation? I mean... Life is a difficult place. We're experiencing temptations and trials continually. And I think we just get burned out. And so it's like, Lord, please just keep us from this. Um, So so I definitely think we can identify with that. Um, But I really want to unpack that verse this morning and the first thing that I want to say is to clarify what we mean by when we say temptation. Um, I think we tend, when we think the term temptation, we tend to think that temptation which leads to sin. And when we think sin, we tend to think Ten Commandments, right? Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, all of those good things. Um, and how many of you, when you hear the word temptation, the first thing that comes to your mind has something to do with sexual temptation? I was on crosswalk.com, and, uh, which is, a, you can have Bible study tools and that sort of thing there. More than half the articles that I found just by searching the word temptation were on that topic. Um, and so I think sometimes that's, this verse becomes so narrow because that's all we're thinking about is just, this very narrow definition of what temptation is. Um, And the word that Jesus uses in this passage uh, actually can mean more than just temptation which leads to sin. It can be broadened to mean um, trials of faith. And we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus in a few minutes, um, and we'll notice that the temptations he goes through are not just temptation which leads to sin. There's temptations of his faith at that point, or trials of his faith. 
And so I think we need to think of it in broader terms um, and begin, I guess, to begin to see the other ways that Jesus needs to come and, and help us. Um, and some of the other ways that the evil one tries to attack us. Um, secondly, I want to point out that many scholars suggest that the scripture is more likely to mean let us not sin when we are tempted instead of just let us not be tempted. I think we probably come to the conclusion um, that temptation is inevitable in our lives, that trials are inevitable, and that's biblically backed up in other places. Um, going back to the scripture, actually the New Living Translation translates it, and don't let us yield to temptation. So there are translations out there that actually in, change the wording to make us understand maybe more of what Jesus was intending. Um, you know, the deliver us, most of us think of uh, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We know that second part of the verse, which is part of the prayer, the Lord's Prayer in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, but is not part of it in Luke. Um, and so s some scholars think that potentially Matthew added that in order to clarify what Jesus meant. Um, so in Luke, it just says, and lead us not into temptation. But in Matthew, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the idea is that there is some deliverance, that we're in the temptation or trial, but we've, we can be delivered from it um, by him. Um, and going back to the idea that temptation is inevitable, I mean, Paul um, talks to the Corinthians about it. He talks about no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So he, you know, says this is going to happen. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Um, lastly, I, I just want to point out quickly that this prayer to me seemed, when I first heard it or when I first started thinking about it for this sermon, seemed really passive to me. Lord, lead us not into temptation. As if we could just throw that up in the midst of temptation or something that, that our salvation was just going to come, I don't know, and just deliver us. It just seemed like there was nothing else that we needed to do or be available for in order to, to have his help. Um, but I think that we need to make ourselves available to receive the help we're asking for. Um, so it's his work. I mean, it's still his power that's working through us to get us out of temptation and trials. But we have to be available to get the help. Um, and that's kind of, that's mostly what I want to look at today, is how can we be available to get that help that we're asking for, that we're throwing up in prayer? What do we need to do to receive that, or do we need to do anything? Um, so let's pray. Lord, I... Um, I want this time to be a time of you clarifying and um, encouraging us and bringing passion to us um, to seek you. And so, Lord, I ask that the, 
that the words that I speak would, would do that this morning. And let the Colts win tonight. Amen. Yes. Oh, I know what that is. That's right. Okay. So how does he help us stand under temptation? We're going to look at a man who did just that, and we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, Melissa, FYI, he's the son of God. He is God. How does this apply to me? But um, FYI, Jesus was actually human, right? When he was led out into the desert, he went as a human man. When he faced the devil's temptations and tests, he conquered them as a human. And it's not like when he got into a sticky situation, all of a sudden he put his God mask on and became superhuman. Can I see that picture? Is there one before this? Yeah. Okay. Here comes Julian flipping out his Spider-Man. I don't know what this is. Anyway. God didn't have, Jesus didn't have a Spider-Man mask. He was human through and through, and he lived this life as a human. And so his example does apply to us. Because the same way that God provided Jesus a way to stand up under trials and temptations is the exact same way that he's going to help you stand up against temptations and trials. Um, this is kind of a little bit of a soapbox for me, but I'll just stop and say, you know, um, Jesus came down here to fulfill two purposes. First, he died for our sins, died and rose again. But secondly, before he died, he taught us how to live. And I think sometimes we focus on the dying for our sins part, which is obviously we need to believe in that in order to be saved. I'm not taking that away, but sometimes I think when we evangelize, maybe we should start with Jesus' life because a lot of people can uh, relate and see respect for him and grow in truth and hopefully come to know him as their savior as well. So we're going to be talking um, about how he taught us to live this morning. Um, um, but later on, when we do communion, we're also going to celebrate his death and resurrection. Okay, so let's see how Jesus did it. The human Jesus who came. Um, this is out of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, his temptation is also recorded in the books of Mark and Luke. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and read through this passage, and then we'll go through some of the scriptures again. So starting in verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Really? Hmm. That's interesting. Okay, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he asked. He said, If you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So when we read this passage of scripture, what pops out to you as a key to his ability to stand against temptation? Haley? Reading the word? Um, the thing that I want to focus on this morning, what pops out to me as the key to his ability to stand against temptation, you know, um, he was in the desert, and it says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and it comes to the conclusion that he was hungry, which is like, well, we could have gathered that. Um, but the other thing that it doesn't say, which I am concluding, is that after 40 days and 40 nights of seeking God's face, you're probably going to be pretty unified with the Lord. You're probably going to know what he's doing with you. He's, you're probably going to have a, a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of drive, a renewed sense of his goodness and his promises. And I think that's the reason he was able to stand up against this is because he, um, and I think this is the reason that we would be able to stand up against things. This is how we would receive his help, is if we commune with God in order to understand his agenda and his truth, if we become unified with God, if we uh, take on the mind of Christ, then that is where his help comes from. That is his help is providing that to us, but we have to seek it in order to get it because it's there, but we can't have it unless we go get it. So he was in unity with the Father. He understood the Father's agenda, and then Satan comes and says, um, the first thing he says is, uh, turn these stones into bread. And, I mean, is that a sin to turn stones into bread? Really? Is it a sin? I mean, he turned the water into wine, and that was fine. We were fine with that. And then he blessed the fish and the loaves, and that fed a lot of people, and we were okay with that. Those we saw as miracles, right? But here, Satan is asking him to turn stones into bread, and he doesn't do it. And it's like, why? Well, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily wrong but this is what I meant by a test of faith and when we talked about temptation and broadening the term to mean tests of faith as well because Satan is going to come or the evil one's going to come at us not with just here's sin doesn't it look good go after it he's also going to come and say he's going to try to distract us from what God would have us do or what the father would the father's agenda is 
But Jesus is like, you know what? <laughs> the Father doesn't have any interest in proving anything to you, Satan. I, I know who I am. I know I'm the Son of God. I don't need to prove it to you. I have better things to do. I have better ways of utilizing my power. And this happens again and again. And it's not just directly from Satan. It comes from the Pharisees over and over. They said, if you're the son of God, then. And does he ever do anything for them? No. Because God doesn't, that's not on his agenda. And he, people shout at him from while he's hanging on the cross. If you're the son of God, come down from there. And Jesus is probably thinking, dude, <laughs> there would be no greater pleasure than to take myself off the cross and take these nails out of my hands and go seek medical relief or whatever. Um, but because I am the Son of God and because I've communed with the Father and I know his agenda, I'm up here for you. And I think, how is he so certain of this plan? Did he ever think on the cross, like, Lord, this better work. <gasps> this better work. This really hurts. I, I, I think how he was able to be so certain of what he was doing uh, was the time that he spent in Gethsemane. He knew that this temptation and this trial, that, I mean, um, dying <laughs> was coming up. And so he took himself to go pray. Because he knew he needed to be fueled up. He, need, he knew he needed to be unified and completely understand what the Father's plan is. And when he was in Gethsemane, he was like, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? And he's like, yes. You know, he comes out with a clear understanding that this is his purpose. And, you know, he took a couple of his disciples with him because they were also going to go through temptation. And what did they do? They fell asleep. <laughs> Jesus couldn't get them to stay awake. He's like, he, he couldn't get them to, I guess, to understand what was going to happen. And he told them, wake up, lest temptation seize you. I mean, he, that's, he says that in scripture, in three of the gospels. That's our son. You might want to go. <laughs> um. All right, so I, trials of faith, I'm calling this temptation to become distracted. It's not necessarily temptation unto sin, but we become preoccupied with ourselves and our own agenda and don't have the fathers in mind. Um. I think we tend to be like those disciples who fell asleep. And Jesus wants to say to you as well this morning, wake up lest you fall into temptation. And you know, I'm talking to myself this morning too. I'm not, this is not, this is not a guilt trip. Um, Stephen and I were so certain that we were moving to Portland in March or we were going to put our house on the market and as soon as it sold, we were going to go. It didn't matter if we had a job. We'd saved money. We were ready. We'd been talking about this for five years. And um, then my sister calls me and says she's having triplets and I start crying. Why are we moving so far away? And then, um, you know, for months people were like, well, how do we get you to stay in San Antonio? And I was like, well, the only way I would stay in San Antonio is if I got pregnant, but that's not going to happen. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the fast came to a perfect came to us at a perfect time. You know, our church is fasting for 40 days, and it came at a perfect time because we are like, should we still go to Portland? Should we move back to Indiana? How long should we stay here? What are we going to do about insurance? I mean, there's just a lot of questions in our mind. Um, and here I am falling asleep on the fast. And what I mean by that is that we are fasting from TV, and I'm watching TV. <laughs> I'm really having a hard time, and I'm not doing... Um, I'm not doing the work, you know, to, to find out what his will is and what his agenda is for my life. Um, anyway. And some of you might not think his agenda is as critical as Jesus, as obviously Jesus' agenda was pretty critical <laughs> to save all humanity from their sins. And the disciples had a pretty critical purpose. Um, to spread the gospel and to establish the church. Uh, and so you might think, okay, well, I can get away with, uh, you know, falling asleep because my purpose is just not as big as that. But there's Jesus and God. God is Jesus. Anyway, they have a critical purpose for you. There's a lot of work to be done here, and it's not getting done as well as it should be. And um, so that just argument just falls to pieces because that's not true. Okay, going back to uh, Jesus' temptation, Satan's third temptation to Jesus was more along the traditional lines that we think of, bow down and worship me and I will give you blank. <laughs> um, and then Jesus quotes him one of the Ten Commandments. No, <laughs> I know the commandments, and that says, no, I shouldn't bow down to you. Not for anything, not for any reason. He's not deceived, and he's not, uh, he doesn't resist, or he resists the temptation. Because remember, he just spent 40 days with God, and... Um, he is very clear about both his commandments and his promises. He's like, first of all, that is wrong. I shouldn't do that. But second of all, God has better and bigger things for me. I mean, yes, first I have to hang on the cross, but there's better and bigger things for me planned than just to have this whole um, city or whatever he planned, he wanted to give to him. Um, and so it's when we're resisting temptation, uh, temptation to sin, we not only have to remember the commandments, but his promises are better than the promises that Satan has. So are you intimately aware of both his commandments and his promises? And have you laid aside all the stuff the world tells you in order to grip onto God's principles? Um, it's hard. I mean, we, we grow up. And we are taught by parents who are imperfect. My parents were great. Um, they had flaws. They were very young when they got married. Uh, they were in high school, um, still married, which is awesome. But um, they made some mistakes, and they struggled with money. And I came out of uh, college, and Steve and I were engaged. And, um, and I had a great job, and... Uh, we were making okay money, but I became what I will term as a hoarder. <laughs> um, 
if we got any money at all, I'd be like, give that to me, and I'd put it in a savings account, but it became, like I said, a hoarding account. where It was all about my security, and I wasn't living on the principles of God for money. Um, and I tell you what, Stephen and I fought every Friday night about money our first year of marriage. Amen, Stephen? <laughs> our first anniversary. We sat in the mall parking lot. We were going to Applebee's for dinner, and... Keep in mind, I was like seven months pregnant at the time, six months pregnant. And he says, I'm going to have a steak for dinner. And I say, stop the car. Why do you always have to get the most expensive thing on the menu? (laughs) (laughs) And so we sat there arguing about money (laughs) for a long time. And we ended up going home and eating leftovers at his parents' house for our first anniversary. Anyway, I guess my point is is that it took a long time and a lot of prayer and a lot of trials and a lot of gripping on to what God says about money for me to give up um, to give up what the world says about it or what my parents taught me about it. Um, I'm going to move on to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. This is immediately before, and I need to apologize for my really lame, well, the Peyton Manning picture was not lame, but the rest of the um, slideshow is fairly lame. (laughs) It's not my um, most favorite thing to do, but I did put the verses up here for those of you who maybe did not bring uh, a Bible, and hopefully it's not too small. I don't know. I'll read it to you, though. Now I'm departing the world. Okay, let me give you some, before I start reading, let me give you some background here. Okay, so this is immediately before Jesus is arrested. He is praying at this point for both his disciples and for his believers. Jesus is about to be crucified, and he desperately wants his disciples to be able to spread his gospel in his absence and not be trapped by evil. And I'm going to use the New Living Translation because this particular passage in, like, uh, the NIV is super wordy, really wordy. And I wanted you to see the powerful truth behind his prayer uh, without having to swim through the words that are just so thick in the NIV. But um, the meaning is the same. Um, I'm picking up in verse 11. It says, now I'm departing the world. I'm leaving them behind and coming to you. Holy Father, keep them and care for them, all those you have given me, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I have kept them safe. I guarded them so that not one was lost except that Judas guy um, who <laughs> who's headed for destruction uh, because the scriptures foretold it. And now I'm coming to you. I have told them many things while I was with them so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They are not part of this world any more than I am. Make them pure and holy 
by teaching them your words of truth. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself entirely to you, so they also might be entirely yours. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for who, for you guys, this is where he starts talking about us. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are, I in them and you in me, all being perfected into one. Then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me so they can see my glory. You gave me the glory because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. And I have revealed you to them and will keep on revealing you. I will do this so that your love for me may be in them and I in them. Um... The obvious theme here is unity. Um, But in verse 15, Jesus says, Keep them safe from the evil one, which is very similar to the Lord's Prayer, which is, But lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He knows that they're going to remain in the world. And he knows what that means. That that means temptations, and that means trials, and that means their faith is going to be put to the test Um, because he knows that they're not of the world and the world hates them and the evil one is present here but he's not asking them to come out of the world because they have purpose they have purpose here and that's to spread the gospel In verse 17, he suggests that victory over temptation will only happen as the Father teaches him them his words of truth. It says, um, make them pure and holy by teaching them your words of truth. So Jesus wants his followers to be united with God because this is the way others will understand that Jesus is the way. See, sometimes we think um, that people will see us all nice and cleaned up. See, nope, I don't gossip. Nope, I'm not living with my boyfriend. Nope, I'm not going to steal that. And they'll somehow want to be us. We think our spotless life will make them say, what does she have that I don't? But don't fool yourselves, because our apparent lack of sin is not the lamp on the stand he was talking about. It's not the beacon on the hill. What they're going to see is the Father in us, Christ in us. That's what the lamp on the stand is. That's what the beacon on the hill is. People don't want to be us. They want what's in us. And that does two things. The Father in us does two things. First of all, it helps us to stand up against temptations and trials so that we may be free to do his will.
you know, I, the Christian life, I just, like I said, when we think about temptation, all we seem to think about is this list of commandments, and it's important. It, I think it grieves Jesus, God's heart when we don't obey his commandments, and I think it's important that that be a focus, um, but it's not all about that. It's about more than that. Um, I was reminded of this story, the religious leader coming to Jesus and asking, good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? Um, and Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? He's trying to figure out if he has, do, does he have faith? What is it that he's, why is he calling him good? But only God is truly good, but as for your question, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not testify falsely, honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a child. And then he says, there's still one thing you lack. Jesus said, sell all you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So I think... Um, When, when we're thinking of that verse, lead us not into temptation. Yes, deliver us from um, sin, from the temptation to do sin. Um, but also, help us to stand against the distraction so that we may follow you, so that may, we may sell all we have and give everything that we have and, and follow him. So this is my own amplified version, Melissa's amplified version of that verse, which is, and lead us not into temptate, sorry, I have a stutter now. So the original verse is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. My amplified version is, Lord, help us to stand under the weight of temptation. We know that your help will come from showing us your agenda and teaching us your commandments and promises. Lord, we know that in order for you to show and teach us, we have to look and listen. And we're committed to do this. Because not only will we become protected from the havoc of the evil one, but you in me is the only way to convince others that your gospel is true and good. There's much at stake. Now, I told Stephen, um, sorry if I'm neglecting you guys over there. Not looking at you. I told Stephen um, that probably someone could read my sermon and think, oh, I'm about to say the practical application here is you should have daily devotions every day. You should have daily devotions. Are you having your daily devotions? I'm not making fun of daily devotions. They're important. Um, but that's not what I want to say this morning. Um, the Christian life is one of discipline, though. Uh, we spent several weeks in VLI covering many of the Christian disciplines, and these were the ones I could remember. So VLI peeps, if you remember any more, let me know. So fasting, silence, and meditation prayer, Bible study, service, tithing, simplicity, community. Anyone think of any others? That's it? So Bible study is in there, but there are other disciplines that the Christian life 
asks of you. And what I want to say this morning is that we need to embrace the reality that Christian discipline is the way to him. That's how he provides the help. It's there for us to get. Let's go get it. And there's no getting around it. I've heard Christians try to get around it. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> right? Um, that being said, that's why we're all here, right? I mean, making time for church is certainly part of that life of discipline. Because I hope that you met God here this morning, that when you were singing the songs about his holiness, that it would became true to you, that you would be reminded of that truth and that promise. And I hope that your understanding of him grows every time you hear a sermon. And that's why we do these things. And I hope that if you are having struggles in your daily life, that you can come up and get prayer afterwards. Because we're here. This is a great time if you think, oh, I never have time to, for the pastor to pray with me. She's up here every Sunday. Not this Sunday, she's gone, but every other Sunday, she's up here. The church is not here to guilt trip you. But it's the whole purpose of church is to support us, this body, in living the life. I, a couple of months ago after VLI, I talked about serving the church. And that's why I serve it, because the purpose of it is to support y'all and for you to support me and for us to seek him. That's why I go to community group. That's why I went through VLI. I don't go to corporate prayer, but that's why you could go to corporate prayer. <laughs> So then it's not like that you have to take advantage of everything, but you have to understand that that's the purpose that we're here for. That's the reason we do missions and we do service. That's why we're doing this service project. And hopefully during serving, you gain an understanding of his compassion. If you're having trouble gaining compassion for people, go on a missions trip. Serve people. He'll show you in the midst of serving, in the midst of doing that discipline he calls us to do, he will reveal himself to you. He'll teach you compassion for people. Um, I wanted to give... We, we were talking about this a little bit in our community group not too long ago. And uh, I was sharing, and I'm going to share some of my, like, a few just practical tips, things that have worked for me. Because daily, to me, is a really difficult thing. Um, I don't think I do anything daily. I brush my teeth, comb my hair. Huh? Um, ask them. I, I've learned to make them self-sufficient. That gets me off the hook. 
or I just produce self-sufficient children. Man, they don't want us to do anything for them anymore. They want to make their own food, get their own. I was telling someone that they make their own oatmeal in the morning. Darcy knows how to put it in the microwave. Anyway. But technically, yes, I take care of my children. Um, Uh, some of the things that I do to help get in that Bible study or that scripture reading um, that is part of the disciplines and is important because I need to read his word um, is sometimes I'll read an entire book, something I'm interested in. Um, now you might think, see right there, that's the problem, interested. But um, um Some ways I get interested is I'll go and read some historical information that will give me context, and it'll make it more of a story, a drama. I mean, because Paul deals with a lot of drama, and it's better than a soap opera, seriously, um, in the New Testament. Um, So go, go get some historical context for something, and then go read an entire book so you're not just reading a chapter, which some, I don't like it when I don't have context, that's that's part of the problem. Um, and uh, some things I've done, I went to this, um, what's it called? It's like a one-day seminar. It was called Walk Through the Bible, and it was Walk Through the Old Testament. I would highly recommend that for people who can't sit still for long. You think seminar, eight hours, right? But you're doing these motions, and it's an overview of the Bible, which is a great way um, to find out some areas that maybe, oh, I didn't know that about the history of God, and maybe let me go read that. Um, you can get things on tape. If you don't like to read, I've heard that before. If you don't like to read, it can be read to you in your car. And um, so check that. I go to the library every week with my kids, and I see the entire Bible on tape at the library. Um, But the one thing I'm going to ask you to do this week is um, when I go through a particular struggle, what I tend to do is I'll seek out scriptures uh, that apply to that struggle, and then I'll write them down and read and read them again um, so that I begin to those, because a lot of times the struggle, I'll have strongholds of things that I believe like I shared with you my financial, I had like, you know, you must take care of yourself and you got to have money and savings because it's going to run out and then you're going to be destitute. And I mean, I just had some non-biblical ideas. And so I had to write things down and really uh, kind of like shove them into my brain over and over and um, build faith that that was true. Um, and I've done that also. Uh, when Steve and I were first married, um, he had to get a summer internship in order to graduate. Uh, and at that time, I read and reread the story of Joseph because he gets all these gigs, you know, like he's he, he works for Potiphar and then he works for who else? The king. Yeah, I mean, these are pretty good gigs, right? Like, yeah, he gets good jobs. And how does he get them? Is because he's super intelligent and never says that. Never says that in that story. It just says that he finds favor with people. And so that's why I started praying for that Stephen would find favor. Like, they would overlook all his flaws. (laughs) 
and find favor with people. And um, I feel like that prayer has really worked because he's found favor with his jobs since then, which has been good. And he did find an internship, and he did graduate. Amen? All right. And we're about ready to pay off the loans. All right. <laughs> um, uh, when I was pregnant with Julian, uh, there was a lot of fear. I'd had a really hard pregnancy, not pregnancy, but delivery with Darcy, and there, I was trying to do something new, and I wrote down every scripture I could find about childbirth, and there are a few in there, and um, I wrote down everything I could find about uh, fear and, and a lot of things about faith, and I think I read um, Hebrews 11 over and over and over and over and over again. I couldn't quote it to you, but I can give you the gist of it. <laughs> um, uh, because it was a huge, it helped me to begin to let go of, again, the, the thoughts that were tempting me to believe things other than what was true and, and embrace what, what was actually true. So anyway, I think I, I'm going to give you an assignment this week that sometime during the week you need to identify something that's tempting, has been tempting you or a trial that you've been dealing with and go find some scriptures about it and write them down and meditate on them. Um, and you can do this by using your concordance. Um, you can go to some place like crosswalk.com, type in a word. It'll give you all kinds of stuff, great there's lexicons on there. There's all kinds of tools that will help you to study the Bible very quickly. Um, write it down and reread them so that his word will help you stand under temptation. Um. All right, let me just pray, and then I'm going to invite Camille to come forward and to help lead us um, and remembering Christ's death and resurrection. Um, Lord, we just, uh, we're really thankful that you came and you taught us how to live. That you didn't come as a superhuman, but you came as a human. And you lived life as a man. Um, and you showed us exactly how we should do it. And uh, Lord, you spent time with your father. And he helped you. And you have a long legacy of healing people and doing miracles and raising people from the dead and setting people free from demons and from their emotions. And, and Lord, we want to have that same legacy. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give us passion to know the Father's heart and that the Father's heart and his principles and his commandments would set us free, Lord, from the realities of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was reminded this morning that... Um, Recently, I took a Bible study on a computer called Setting the Captives Free. I like to say I'm free. <laughs> some days I am, and some days I've got to go back to the floor again. Um, but I was reminded also that the first time when Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he talked about the bread and the blood, you know, being his, his body and his, I mean, the bread and the wine, 
being his body and his blood, they didn't get it. They didn't have the Holy Spirit so that they would understand it. And it wasn't until Paul said, I mean, goes over it again in 1 Corinthians, and he really de details it when he talks about, um, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, this cup is a new testament of my blood, this do ye, as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. I've spent a lot of time over the years saying, you know, I don't really understand the cross, Lord. You're going to have to put it in a way that I understand it. And I realized in taking this uh, Bible study that if we didn't have the cross, we wouldn't have the freedom to commune with our God and to have fellowship with him because he gave us a way to free us from our sins. And it was from that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, from all the things that he did for us. And that's what um, I'd like for you to remember this morning. And in uh, preparation, if you'd like to take a few moments to pray, whatever, to prepare your hearts for the communion, and then you can just come up here and take it um, as you're ready. And uh, I'm going to open, I mean, pray now for this. And Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that you sent your son to die for us, that we might have this fellowship with you. And as often as we need it, that we can again come to you we thank you that your compassions are new every morning and that we can celebrate when we come. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.